My friend Jim Kelly likes to ask the question, if everything were easier and more fun, would that be okay? He is the creator of the self-directed change work method, and we're going to hear more about that today on part two of our conversation here on the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. You are listening to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, a show devoted to uncovering the systems and the secrets that set the best apart, where you learn how to take your coaching clients to the next level while you grow the coaching practice of your dreams. So sit back and relax, or sit up and get excited. Either way, you might want to pay attention. This could be important. All right, we are back once again with the great Jim Kelly, and I'm, you can't tell this because this is an audio podcast, but I'm wearing my Buffalo Bills cap here in honor of Jim Kelly being here. And then I found out, it's a different guy. It's not the same Jim Kelly, who was the quarterback for the Bills. Not not at all. He even has an E in his name, Jim Kelly. Uh-huh. It's like uh, false pretenses, but I figured since we're here anyway, we'll just continue having a conversation. So, um... <laughs> here, love it. <laughs> I'll tell you about the time somebody mistook me for a Jim Kelly and pitched me on a real estate deal. I was very mad when they found out that I was just another guy. <laughs> and I, I'm, you know, I'm a big guy and I used to play football. So he, it was, it was a natural mistake. He was, did, very you, did you play quarterback? I did not. I did not. I played, uh, I played uh, basically variations of offensive and defensive line. And uh, there's so, only two. How, what, how many variations of that can you get? Well, center tackle. Oh, right oh okay. Gotcha. Right end, gotcha. Nose, nose guard. Right. I mean, you get uh. into the, some of the technicalities of, of football, but yeah. Yeah. And then I had a, I, I, I had too many concussions and I didn't play my senior year and my team that I had grown up with was undefeated that year. Wow. So I, think I, I think I helped by not being. There. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway. Well, we, that's not really why I brought you here today, Jim. No, <laughs> But speaking of football, I played um, uh, I played those positions too in, in uh, junior high school, a ninth grade team. But mostly, I played uh, wide receiver and uh, defensive halfback, which I'm not sure what that position really is. Linebacker, I think, something like that. But my uh-huh. coach called it defensive halfback. That was fun. I, I was surprised. I wasn't didn't think of myself as a defensive player, but it was a fun position to have. Um, yeah, a lot of I'm, defensive players are are really good offensive receivers. Huh. And so defensive backs are really good offensive receivers and defensive backs are a lot of times guys that have played quarterback somewhere along the way. They know how mm-hmm. to read the field. So yeah. That's, yeah, good times had by all. So Jim. Yes. You were here um, recently. I don't know when the podcasts will all drop. So I'm not going to say last week because it might've been a few weeks ago by the time this comes out, but um we were having you talk about your self-directed change work, and 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 you and I know that this has been a, a long time coming. You've been working on it for a, a long, long time, and it's kind of, are you really ready for prime time? Is the kind of feeling, and and um, and it's all really fascinating, fascinating stuff to me, because we both come from a kind of NLP background, and I've seen a number of people, including myself to an extent. Um, kind of evolve things or develop things from that background 
that go off in perhaps a slightly different way because of something that's perceived to be lacking in the NLP world, or this is a more refined thing for a particular approach we're going for or whatever. I'm just curious if you can tell us a little bit about how, in fact, your self-directed change work, you know, came to be. What's the gestation of it? Why, why, why did you feel a need to, to create this model? Well, there's a there's a couple of couple of layers to that. Um, uh, wh- one of which I was I was speaking to a, a fellow who was part of NLP Comprehensive, a guy by the name of Kelly Gerling, that might be a familiar name to some old time NLPers. And I told him that I just finished trainers trading and that I was interested. And in, we have a mutual friend. And and uh, so he said, Well, you know, if you want to be an NLP trainer there is a lot of uh, opportunity in the NLP world to look at various aspects of NLP and get really good at training that. And uh, he said, so that's what, that's what I, he apparently had done in his consulting business. So I hung up from that call. I thanked him for that input, of course. And um, I hung up from that call and I asked myself, what's the one question that I struggle with the most? And let's see if I can figure out where to go with NLP from that Hmm. and what to train. Because NLP is eclectic and it is ecumenical. And the knowledge base of NLP is much broader than this sort of, you know, salesy approach that is kind of, you know, uh, transactional uh, with a lot of, uh, seems like with a lot of trainers today. I don't know. I I just uh, really felt strongly that that my core question was um, if this, if my life were easier and I could be having a better time, would I be okay? Would I be able to be okay? Because at the base of it, I really felt like I was lost and I didn't know what to do. Hmm. So people, you know, that work with me, hear me say, you know, hey, once upon a time, I felt like I was lost and I didn't know what to do is that kind of one of the feelings that you're bringing to this session. I I was lost and I didn't know what to do. And uh, so I kind of put the, the, that statement I'm lost and I don't know what to do together with this question of like, how could this, how can I be okay? And how can I have more ease of use in my life, more grace, and how can I have more pleasant experience and have things be more fun? Mm -hmm. So I came up with this sort of hook question that I asked, you know, at the, at the beginning, I asked, I, you've heard me say it many times, if everything were easier and more fun, would that be okay? And uh, I know if there are defenses on board or if there's intellectual engagement happening, depending upon how people answer that question, right? Mm-hmm. They may just not be engaged, but they may also be so guarded and so defended that they really don't want to answer that question. So they use a throwaway answer. Like, well, of course, what a ridiculous question. I'm like, really? So how are you going to do it? How are you going to make things easier for yourself? How are you going to have more fun? And how are you going to be okay? Because you only got this much time and then this incarnation is over. So what are you going to do? So I took what I had learned in NLP going all the way back to the story I told you last time about, you know, kind of, getting involved with hypnosis tools from really from my mother and and from my great uncle Alden and being raised in that. And then coming across, you know, the primer of Jungian psychology and, 
mm-hmm. you know, getting, you know, psychology today and all that stuff. And then I got my first NLP book in 77. Right. And I'm still stuck with that. How can NLP support therapeutic alliances and support uh, getting people moved from A to B? What kind of resources do we have to put in there? So that's where the self-directed change work method came up because why? We, if we're going to get anywhere, we have to do it for ourselves. Uh, you know, certainly we all need help. We're social beings. But uh, where are we going to get that direction from? We have to develop the tools to self-direct, just like when a, a child is learning how to self-soothe or learning how to tie their shoes. So that's, that's where it came from for me. Kind of a long answer, but, you know, I that's really good. wanted to find a tool uh, uh, that could kind of access the NLP intention and really make it back into kind of that therapeutic alliance um, that, uh, that really, you know, coaches and therapists want to have and the therapeutic alliance that a person who's trying to change can have with themselves and offer themselves the benefit of their best efforts. Okay, cool. Love it. Yeah, that's, that's a very nice answer, actually. So last time you were here, we, we were also asking other questions about, um, outcomes and goals and various other things that um, um, I was wondering if you wanted to say anything about what's the difference between two in your mind between an outcome and a goal and do would you approach them differently yeah yeah thank you I I I appreciate you know when we were talking about coaching tools last time and you said if you had to offer one thing to a new coach, what would it be? And I said, get a really good grasp on well-formed outcomes. Uh Now I could have said, get a really good grasp on the four pillars of NLP, you know, the all important rapport and breaking rapport with the problem and making rapport with the solution, but also the, the interpersonal rapport of the, the coach therapist with the client seeker. Um, And so I, we listed off, you and I, when we were talking, uh, we listed off, you know, a couple of features of well-formed outcomes, and I intentionally left two features out. So, um, and, and then I realized, oops, I've just sailed off into the weeds here because I didn't mention time, and I didn't mention use of the senses. I was kind of more thinking about semantic well-formedness and how okay. we develop an outcome. So. Right. I also had mentioned last time we talked about how the self-directed change work method is more about process than goal setting. Mm-hmm. If you do a goal setting session, you can pull out your smart goals, you know, strategic, uh, uh, measurable, you know, uh, that whole deal. Yep. But um, uh, realistic time bound, you know, I mean, the whole thing, that's a goal. And that's something that's very linear. I was at a John Overdorf seminar um, in his humanistic neuro-linguistic psychology thing. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about how uh, it, it, this idea of going beyond goals. So I started to think about goals versus outcomes. And sometimes you get outcomes that are highly desirable when you're going for a goal. But if you get too directed to a goal, you might miss some of the outcomes that you could Yet. So I'm, I'm really interested in how people feel and how do you feel when this is going? What's your experience like? We talked about metaphors last time. 
And uh, so I, I really feel that, uh, that um, you know, uh, goals are, have outcomes as a feature, but outcomes don't necessarily have goals as a feature. They could be something else. <laughs> and so I was talking to my wife about it and she said, she said, uh, give me an example. And uh, so kids cover your ears because I'm about to say it. Uh, I said, Viagra. And, and, and she said, what? And I said, Viagra. They were testing it as a heart medicine for atrial fibrillation or some darn thing, circulation. And the, the people in the placebo group didn't realize that the people in the non-placebo group, group were having a breakthrough of a lifetime in their marriages. <laughs> and, uh, right? And so, uh, you know, it's like, wow, I'm, I'm 60 years old and my wife's a kid to me again. You know, it was a happy day. And uh, then they, you know, then, then when the test was over, I mean, this is all documented story, right? When the test was over, the people who were in the non-placebo group were like, where can I get more <laughs> heart medicine, right? So I'm doing air quotes again. And, um, and, and so the outcome was uh, what's the, you know, other, other than champagne, what's, what's one of the most popular drugs on Valentine's Day? So it kind of was heart medicine, wasn't it? <laughs> but, <laughs> oh, but it didn't really do what they were looking for in, in the cardiac rehabilitation world. So the outcome was very positive and the outcome was heart related, but it wasn't as a heart medicine. So sometimes the goal doesn't meet the, the, uh, you know, a, you, a, a John Overdorf talked about um, a, a, a person who sets a goal to have $5 million by the time they're 50 years old and a house at the lake. And then they get to be 50 years old and they got $5 million and they got a house at the lake, but they've got no relationships. They've got no friends. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they've totally blown out their lives to get this goal happening. When in fact, if they had been more outcome oriented, then they could kind of go more stepwise or uh, what uh, one uh, kind of cool metaphor is, is an exercise called the three foot toss. And the three foot toss is, is that if you give me three, three rings and a basket that's three feet away, I could get all three of those rings in there, like pretty much a hundred percent. But if you get one out there 10 years, and you have three rings and you got to lob it, you may not get anywhere near that darn basket because it's too far away. Right. So a, an outcome could be like, okay, we're working towards having, you know, $5 million by the time we're 50. We're working towards having a house at the lake, but we're also working on having satisfying relationships, a, a, a sense of stability that's positive and constructive. And, um, you know, that, that everything's okay. I, I'm, I'm okay. The people around me are okay. I'm a net contributor in my life. I'm surrounded by other net contributors. So the goal may have been met to get the house at the lake and the $5 million, but I also made sure that I brought everything else along with me. Right. Great. And it's, it struck me also that when we've just talked about your self-directed change work, that it is, really attempting to get back into that kind of human wholeness rather than just a single transactional thing. You do this to get that kind of thing that NLP could, can be, you know, often is treated as such of that sort of thing. Is, is that it's tempting? Yeah. Is that what? Is that basically accurate? Is that where 
what it, when were the one of the outcomes of self-directed change work is to once again you've proven yourself an excellent listener because that's what i've been talking about is this whole person thing yeah. you know it's bringing all the parts along for the ride instead of just putting one part of me in charge and having that just blow everything else out right right right, right. so yeah i really do like the integration approach and uh, self-directed change work method is very, very uh, focused on saying, okay, we've got all these undifferentiated parts of our experience. Let's differentiate some of them, see if we can get some definition. Then we'll integrate them together and then link them to our future and our current procedures about the future. You know, it's kind of the Buddhist thing, you know, present causes, future effects. So, yeah. I'm not when you, when you do change when you do this process, the self-directed change work with a, with a client, um, mm-hmm. are you also teaching them how to do it for themselves so that it becomes a thing that they don't need you for in the future? Can they, can a person learn to do this? If you will. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. That's exactly the goal. I want a person. I mean, I, it's like I said, last time we got together, I could just give apples and fish and, you know, here's abundance, abundance, abundance. But then if I stop doing that, then a person's got, you know, all they have is the apples and fish that I gave them. I want to teach them how to do that. Right. So I've raised kids, I'm raising grandkids with my kids and, you know, I'm very interested in teaching people how to fish, teaching people how to raise apples, not just this season, but every season and how to tend the orchard. So, you know, Mm -hmm. this is a constructive metaphor and I really want people to learn. So when I'm working in, in session, either directly or indirectly, I'm always using conversational hypnosis and uh, or things that relate back to uh, hypnotic language. And, um, you know, is that deep enough for you? Aren't you, don't you feel you're coming up now? You know, and and I like to, I like to, to use those things as, as strategic tools, but most of all, I want people to learn who they are and what they really need so that their wants and their needs can start to match. Uh-huh. Teach them how to do it. I'm really interested in teaching them how to do it. Do you, when you say conversational hypnosis, are you putting? Are you? Is it a trance phenomenon? I mean, do you put people into hypnosis? Or is this a hypnotic process? It can be if yeah. I think if I think it's appropriate. Yeah, if I think that's what a person needs. But I'm really interested in the uptime trance, Doug. You know, I, I've had too many people. Let's, come let's talk my- about let's talk about that because yeah. I suspect there are a few listeners who have no clue what you mean by uptime trance. Oh, okay, yeah, because too many people come into the office and stick their hand in the air and clo- go to sleep. And they start snoring, right? And then there's this mythology that, like, oh, the unconscious mind heard everything, and yet you give them a quiz about it, and they got bupkis, they got nothing, <laughs> they didn't hear a thing, yeah. right? They have no feedback for you on what you were talking about. So I really don't like um, magical thinking, as, as you and I have talked about before. I want things that can have a, a more of a verifiable trail. And so um, one, one of the ways that I learned this uptime downtime thing is that like if you're in a trance that takes you down towards delta, mm-hmm. down towards, you know, past alpha into theta, yeah. and you start going into that theta brainwave state you know, you're going down trance, you're having a downtime trance. Sleep, sleep, sleep like. And very sleep like, very somnambulistic maybe. There you go. And uh, and so that's cool. And it can be really, really helpful for calming, for deepening, 
uh, for uh, getting a person prepared to take what you've just done in a session and go out into the world with it. Um, and it kind of settles them into a place of comfort and, and belonging and safety with the materials. So I like downtime trances. But usually when people come to me, they're pretty activated. And I want to meet them in that activation and take that energy and, and let them, you know, sort of launch into the world with it. So that's where the idea of uptime trances comes from. So the, the you know, uh, and I didn't make any of this stuff up. I didn't make any of this stuff up. This is all just correlations that I've put together uh, and, and practiced with. Um, but the, uh, you know, uh, uh, the people can become resilient based on what their attention is landing on. And then they can become even more resilient based on what their outlook is about where their attention is landing. So if we're using an uptime trance, a person is starting to, in an uptime way, visualize themselves like, hey, I'm going to go to the grocery store and I'm going to get some milk and I'm going to get some cookies and, you know, and I'm going to buy some Pellegrino and I'm <laughs> going to check out with Mario and, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, and it's going to be, you know, I, I can see myself do, having that experience. And then they go into the store and that's exactly what happens because it's easy to remember. It's, it, it, and they're, you know. Kind of the idea that our mind is always in some type of trance. So I remember years ago, uh, somebody asked me, a guy who was a hypnotist who's written a bunch of books, and he said, what kind of hypno hypnosis do you like the best? And um, I was feeling a little chippy, which I can get, and you've seen me do it. And I said, I like dehypnosis better than hypnosis. And he went, what? wait, what? And I said, I like dehypnosis better than hypnosis. And he's like, tell me more about that. And I said, most people are walking around, they're hypnotized, they're in the wrong trance, right? They're, uh, they have a phobia, they're in the wrong trance. They're not, and I say wrong, not judgmentally, but because it's not helping them. It's not mm -hmm. getting them what they want. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So we like to kind of, let's, let's see if we can find the right trance. And we might have to do that by keeping you in an uptime state and helping, helping a person really kind of helicopter view, like, this is the way I've been doing it. Then maybe this is the way I could do it. And what if I could do it that way? How much easier, how much more fun can this be? And all I have to do is just like recognize that everything that I'm doing over here has a positive intention and a lot of positive procedures. But then when I get over here, I'm not feeling very good about it. And I'm not really getting what I want. So I'm not okay. So that's what I like about talking about that distinction between uptime and downtime. And I think a lot of hypnotists would be, it's just my opinion, um, but I think a lot of hypnotists would be very uh, well uh, served if they started thinking in terms of uptime trances equally with downtime trances mm -hmm. and what they can do to, to affect change that way. And that's where the self-directed change work method starts to shine. You know, we get a practical attitude, then we talk about preferences, then we talk about your permissions, resources, options and limits, chain analysis, you know, they call it in CBT, and developing a sense of direction. That's all. Oh, let, me, let, me just, let me just stop you right there. So that list mm -hmm. that you just gave, is that like a set? set list is that written down someplace that is a that is, you will find that graphic on on my webpage uh okay. and, and it's the pathway it's a nine-step pathway foundation pathway practice and i'm really interested in setting a firm foundation because you know 
But when the when the wind blows, the willow holds on to its roots and the top shakes and goes back and forth. Mm. But the roots are 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 set. And uh, and so that's why I really want a good foundation that starts with a practical attitude about what it is that you're dealing with and get some real openness about what's happening and how do you know. Okay, then, let me just let know. me just stop you. Let me just stop you. I want to come back yeah, to yeah. Um I want, I want to just go back to, because, you know, there is another great uh, therapist in the upper, upper, none upper, uh, north, northern, northwestern territories. Where, where do you live? You live in Oregon. Um, Dave oh, Dobson was in Washington State. Dave Dobson was in uh, Friday Harbor area. At least. Oh, yeah, that's right. Dave was there. Yeah. Yeah. And he used to, he's the first person I ever heard talk about de-hypnosis. He said, yes. you know. He said, oh, "I'm." Uh, people ask me, you know, are you a hypnotist? I said, no, I am not a hypnotist. I can do that. But most of the time, what I really find most valuable is to be a de-hypnotist. See, I think that's where I got it from. Remember, I my, my number one claim is I didn't make all this stuff up, right? <laughs> my I, number I, one claim is I stole everything. I stole it all. <laughs> Guilty, that's your my honor. number one claim. <laughs> credit where credit's due. Everybody gets the credit. I'm just the current voice. So, yeah, thank you about that with that Dave thing. Tell me more. Well, you know, that's, that's pretty much it. But I remember um, when I was learning from him, I... Uh, figured one way might be good to just to actually do a session with him you know because he's teaching all this stuff but yeah i would like to see it in action you know because most of the training he did was him telling stories and then like maybe out of a two-week course he'd do maybe three hypnotic inductions in that that whole time and he never taught us how to do a hypnotic induction he wow. just did them and yeah. then uh, you know it was up to us if we wanted to, to figure out how to actually do it ourselves. To model his procedure, but he didn't make it explicit. Is that right? Yeah. 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 So um, 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 I decided to do a session with him and I had a particular issue on to work on. And to my surprise, because I expected that I would go into the session with this great hypnotist and he would hypnotize me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I kind of thought, well, I know what's coming because yeah. I'm going to a hypnotist. Right, he hypnotize me, but he exactly. didn't. He didn't. Um, he told a lot of stories and just yeah. told a lot of jokes, and and they were related to what my issue was, but not directly. And um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> head scratcher, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was like what the hell. And and, um, and and what I was surprised about was that. Um, Issue wasn't that big of an issue when I was finished with that session of his, and um, so cool. Yeah, just unraveled it. It just really, really unraveled it. That's really cool. Sometimes those knots get so tight. Yeah, Yeah. it reminded very much of the way the Frank Fairley works with provocative change work as well. It was Mm -hmm. like tells jokes and and rambles on, and like you're in this like up open eyed trance with like what the heck is going on around here, And, and you know you're in this very amazing experiential state with with frank these times yeah so i'm just curious if it's so if somebody came in to see you for something specific like let's just say i pulling something out of the air um 
hypnotists are known for doing things like weight loss or smoking cessation or whatever. Sure. Let's just say weight loss for fun. Would you, what would you say to somebody who comes into your office and says, yeah, I want to lose like 15 pounds. I've put on some weight over this COVID time and, you know, I put on the old COVID-19 and I'd like to <laughs> take about 15 of them off. I, I went for the full 20. <laughs> <laughs> Can, so can you can you help me with this uh, this yeah. self directed change work thing you got? Sure, sure, yeah. absolutely. And you know the interesting thing about it is is that it, de- depending upon their level of interest, they may not hear much. They may not hear me use the word self directed change at all. Hmm. Um, you know, because that's really kind of more of a of a moniker for the toolkit. Um, but you know, I want to know what you know. What's the what, 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 where'd the weight come from? What's, what's happening? I really want to know first what's happening. Okay. Well, what's it, happening? let's just say I'll, I'll, I'll play this plaque that not, this is anything to do with me actually at all, but, but let's just say <laughs> hypothetically, um, when you are fit and slender <laughs> and you go out and run down that road, don't you? Well, yeah. I've been known to, um, yeah. yeah. So, um, Let's just say hypothetically that I, I, I came up here during COVID and uh, did a lot of sitting mm-hmm. on, on Zoom and things and um, and eating, Eat a, a lot of eating things were happening. Mm-hmm. And, and perhaps let's just say hypothetically, ice cream was involved. And, oh. um, <laughs> <laughs> or beer or both. And beer, yeah, and, and wine and absolutely. Bread, <laughs> good old bread and butter. Yeah, pizza. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. lots of yeah. things. But just hypothetically, just saying those mm-hmm. things. And um, yeah, so I've I've not I've got, let's just say hypothetically I've quit eating those things, mm-hmm. and yet the weight still seems to be here. Well, hang it on. Oh, yeah. yeah. So uh, what might you say to somebody like that if that was hypothetically a situation? Well, I would really love to be able to ask that person, hypothetically you, you know, okay, so up till now, yeah, that's what's been happening. How, how, from here, how's it going to be different? Mm-hmm. And my John Overdorf related friends will love that because that's what he calls the move. And he actually has some kinesthetics involved with it. But I, I really what do you mean by you know, kinesthetics involved with it. Well, he it, it, John literally puts puts uh, puts moves into it. So he's like, you look at this hand and you say, up till now, that's the way it's been, and then you swoosh it behind you. So he likes to use the swoosh thing, right? Mm-hmm. He swoosh it behind you. So now that's back on your timeline, right? And then he goes, okay, from here, and you pick up your other hand, you know, your right hand, and you say, from here, how can it be different? And you swoosh it up you know, kind of into your visual construct, right? Mm-hmm. Like, hmm, how can that be different, right? Hmm, could it be different this way? I don't know. I can't hear myself making a difference there, but look what I see when I do this, right? So up till now, that's the way it's been. But from here, how can it be different? So you started this particular hypothetical with a very good description of the what's happening part. Mm-hmm. And you also gave the good, solid empirical evidence about what's happening now. How do you know what's happening? How do you know? Those are my two favorite leader questions. And so in your introduction, you gave me both of those as we started this hypothetical session, right? 
So my next thing would be to, curious to just wonder what, how resourced are you around this? You know, what is your thinking? Up till now, that's the way it's been. From here, how can it be different? And let's just kind of trance out on that a little bit and see what comes up for you. And very often what happens is, is a person are like, well, you're not asking me to answer that question, are you? I'm like, no, I'm asking you to ask your unconscious mind that question. I'm asking you to ask your life that question from the vantage point of now, what could, you know, what could be different in the future? So up till now, that's the way it's been. From here, how can it be different? Hmm. And uh, that's, a, that's a great modeling question. Then from there, you know, there all kinds of stuff tends to come up and people start immediately sort of checking up, checking the boxes on exercise programs and, you know, weight loss, hypnosis and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, okay, but how's it going to be different? What are you going to be experiencing? What's your body going to be like? What are you going to be doing in that body? What's happening there? Okay. How are you going to take care of that? And how will you know when you're getting there? Okay, cool. And is that why you're calling it self-directed? Because you're asking these questions and eliciting those things from the individual that might be different for everybody that you ask those questions to. Absolutely. Because, you know, as Richard Bandler said, and you know, uh, personalities are like fingerprints. Everybody's got one, but they're all different. Did he say that? that? Yes. I don't know if he's quoting somebody, but I did hear him say that. Okay. And uh, in a recording. And, you know, he was talking about why he loves doing this therapy why he loves doing this work because it's challenging because everybody's different. There is not a cookie cutter person out there. There is no gingerbread man. Right. Um, and, and if there are, there's still different one from another. Uh, so yeah, yeah. You know, he's got to, you got to really listen. And, and I want people to learn for themselves what motivates them is by the time they get to the parking lot, I don't know them anymore. I don't know what car they're driving. You know, I don't know where they're going next. I don't know what they're having for dinner. I don't know what their house looks like. So I need them. I, I, it makes me very nervous to, you know, work with somebody on solutions that are coming from me. Right. I'm not, I'm not into that. I, I think that people are organic and people are human beings and they need to be allowed to design their own solutions. And uh, that doesn't mean I'm going to abandon them. And the, like, you know, my, my, my dear old dad, God bless his soul. He used to always say, well, you'll figure it out. And, uh, you know, he was right less than half the time. So, uh, <laughs> although today he would say he's vindicated because he'd be like, well, look, you got everything figured out. And I'm like, no, I don't. Now that I know all of this stuff, I know less than I ever knew before. But because uh, it's just mm -hmm. questions from here on out. But yeah, I want people to design their own solutions. And I want to teach them how to do that by asking them good questions and giving them good procedures. So I've had people go and make a motto for themselves. You know, if everything were easier and more fun, would that be okay? Is this easier? Is this fun? If we work at it a little harder, can we make it fun? Do something else? You know, and they start to model their own solutions. And it gets into kind of a a second order of change, then we'll talk about first, second, third order of change at some point if you want, but not again, not my concept, but I do use it. Um, and I, I, and I, you know, when a person's in a second order of change, they're not going to go back to their remedial work. They're going to go back to, they're going to go into learning how life is today. How can this be different? And it's second order and there is no going back.
Um, you know, just like there's no turning back the clock. You know, I'm, I'm never going to have my, you know, 60th birthday again. That was one time, one time only. And, mm. uh, right. And so yeah. we can't go back, but we can go forward and we can design the future. So past causes, present effects, present causes, future effects is uh, kind of the uh, classical Buddhist philosophy, sure. the psychology of it. And I, I want people to harness that, although I may never say those words to them. I want them to harness that, like, from here, how's it going to be different? Yeah. What can yeah. I do? What's in my control? Cool. So that's that's great. That's very, very clear. Thank you very much. All uh, right. And I, and I like also how, you know, it does seem to really be moving. While it's not like traditional therapy where you say, like, how does that make you feel? And it's all about feelings and emotions and, and having it be uh, honoring and respecting the, the the feelings and whatever and hopefully then ultimately following those feelings to getting some insights and some um enough aha experiences that you can begin to change your behavior mm -hmm. along the way but um well it's, it's not that exactly but it is honoring more the human and the process than it is just having it be transactional and like you said i think it, either on the podcast or to me before we started the podcast or whatever, but that you see a lot of NLP has gone into more of a, a salesy kind of situation. Uh, is that the word you used? Well, yeah. I mean, they're selling out. They're selling like, you know, do this, get that, right? You right. know, it's, it's marketing messages, right? Marketing. And, uh, yeah. you, you know, so I, I'm, I'm kind of kind of seeking with self-directed change work method I'm, I'm seeking to integrate change ideas with the solid foundation NLP started uh -huh, uh -huh. before it became so heavily infused with marketing messages. Gotcha. And, you know, marketing messages are great for generating enthusiasm and engagement. Um, but uh, as you mentioned in our, in our last uh, podcast, you know, that it used to be called NLP therapy. And, you know, I, that was that period of time when I stepped out of the NLP world, I kind of got into some books and I learned about the meta model and, you know, but I, I was more interested in philosophy, religion and psychology at that point. And with NLP as kind of the hypnotic background, kind of the structural piece, it was to me, NLP was architectural. And so I missed that whole phase where NLP became about, you know, going to the NLP um, uh, seminar and hooking up with people and, you know, going to the party afterwards and, and all that kind of stuff. I, you know, I, to me, it's always been a way to get something important done. And um, yeah, I the, the do this, get that way of approaching change can be a slippery slope mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, the foundations aren't necessarily you know, uh, the foundations aren't necessarily taken care of when all you're trying to do is remedy, remedy, remedy. In other words, when you're stuck in first order of change, all you're doing is giving it an aspirin and calling in the morning, right? But when you get into second and third order change where things start to become permanent, you're like, hold on, I'm a, I'm a lifelong learner here. I'm determined and I'm ready to learn. And not only that, I'm starting to learn stuff because when I go backwards, I know why I went backwards eventually, I could figure out how I went backwards eventually. And before all of this started, I couldn't do it. It's kind of based on a model from a James Prochaska, this kind of classic teaching and addiction therapy called the stages of change. 
And, you know, uh, when we get to the place where we can actually sort of maintain the new life, you know, um, but the, the do this, get that remedial approach uh, to NLP and hypnosis, um, I feel like uh, gives uh, the client, the potential client, an unrealistic expectation of what they're going to get. And it starts to turn into a magic show mm. and it starts to look like stage hypnosis at the country fair, which could be a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Yeah. But <laughs> we got to give them something more for their money. In my opinion, we got to yeah, give yeah. them the ability to, to go into their mind and go into their heart, go into their lives and actually go, Hey, you know what? I would like for things to be different about this, that, and the other thing. But the only thing that I really think I'm going to get a yes on is this. And so I'm going to resource this thing, right? And uh, so the self-directed change work method, uh, you know, addresses that foundation, builds the pathway, and then we start the practice. Then we start to do this, get that, right? Yeah, yeah. Even though it's still, yeah. So. Cool. <laughs> so um, a couple of things you mentioned that I just wanted to get some clarity on. You mentioned the four pillars of NLP. What what are the four pillars of NLP? Four pillars of NLP. I love the four pillars of NLP. It's a it, it's just a it's just a really uh, uh, useful uh, way of 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 thinking about how to construct change. And and I I even you know have like gone through and, and researched that we could do a we could do a, a kind of a cool uh, training on the structure of experience and how do you know, uh, but the the uh, the out the outcome when when we're working with somebody the outcome starts to develop right and sometimes they'll come in and it'll be super clear I have a phobia I can't drive I have a phobia I can't cross a bridge. Other times it needs to be modeled. I have too many relationships that aren't working very well. I feel weird about my life. So we kind of start talking outcome. What do you want? Rapport. Uh, and rapport is cool because that kind of gives me the opportunity to, to figure, you know, kind of start to join them in their model of the world. But I keep my toolkit together while I'm doing it, right? I don't just do full transference and become a carbon copy of them. I stay in rapport with them, their model of the world. I look for their language. I look for how they use subjects and predicates. I kind of try and mirror match and lead that. And rapport is really, really cool for that. So outcome rapport, use of the senses. We talked about that uh, last week, what's happening. And sense acuity and sense awareness, you know, the, the it, it, again, you know, back to good old classic Buddhist psychology uh, in the five aggregates, first there is a body, then there are feelings and the senses are, you know, part of how they define those feelings. What are you, you know, seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, uh, uh, smelling. Um, and then what about your senses? What's going on with your intuition? What's going on with your proprioception? Where are you oriented in the world? Um, so what's happening? The senses really help us understand what's happening. And then last but not least, good old behavioral flexibility how to adjust for better results. You know, like I'm talking to somebody and we're kind of running down a, a track here. And maybe that's something that's like, we're done talking about that. We need to move forward into something else. If I'm flexible, I'm not going to keep pushing them. So last time I talked about how we need to stay on our toes with folks and, uh, you know, that, that this, this, flexi this flexibility is, is important because they're wondering if what we're working on is going to help them. And we need to be wondering the same thing. 
And so the, the flexibility will help us go, okay, you know, shift a direction, a little to the left, a little to the right, slow down, speed up, you know, gotta, gotta stay, stay flexible to be able to gauge the experience. And basically what I like about uh, the, um, the four pillars of NLP is that they really help the, with what I like to talk about in terms of the, the structure of experience. Uh, what, what does that mean? What is the model of the world? Um, and, uh, you know, how, how do I do this? It's kind of the, the general inquiry of, of, of NLP is guided discovery in my, in my take on it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, uh, up till now, that's the way it's been right now. This is what is, and from here, how can it be different? And those four pillars of NLP outcome, rapport, senses, and, be, and flexibility are going to help us get that done more easily. And the more we go through that and repeat it with our clients, the more that's going to come naturally to them to do it themselves. It becomes kind of a conditioning thing for them. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. And I know we're, we're running short on time, and I just wanted to make sure that I also got through that nine-step pathway that you are talking about before that started with that it's practical. Practical attitude. Practical attitude. Practical attitude. Yeah. Yeah. What's happening? You know, you're in the middle of a change process and you and you, you've decided that you can't ignore it and you can't run away from it. So let's move towards now you've got a towards motiv motivation. Let's move towards that thing and let's be practical about it. Let's let's use a form of optimism that is uh, re realistic and constructive. Um you know, and, and really helps with, you know, kind of stay in a positive approach to the problem. I have a problem. I'm going to fix it. I have a concern. I'm going to figure it out. I have a system I'm trying to work within. I'm going to do the best I can with it. And we start with a practical attitude that really sounds like that. How do I do this? Well, it's that fierceness idea, right? You know, like I'm going to get this, I'm ready to learn and I'm determined and, and I'm going to get it done. So that's practical attitude. Next box over Again, this is the foundation line. The next box over, and if we're just doing it procedurally, uh, is, uh, you know, you can kind of imagine that there's a nine, nine boxes and there's an A on one side and a B on the other. And we come out of the, you know, point A and go right through those nine steps in an S and come out in the direction of getting to, I can do this, right? So, you know, practical attitude, then we want to know what do you prefer? What are your real preferences? And nothing doesn't make the list if you want it on the list. Because the 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 step after that is permission. Okay, out of all those things you pr prefer, what in this context is going to actually be worth working on? What do you have permission to move forward on right now? And then that's kind of the foundations, practical attitude, preferences, and permission. Then we move up to the next line, which is the pathway. How do we go down the path? So, you know, let's start about start out talking about what your resourcing is. You know, you have permission to work on this. What resources are underdeveloped, overdeveloped? What needs to be on board? What do you need to stop doing? What do you need to start doing? What do you need to do more of? What do you need to do less of? You know, classic mm -hmm. four questions. Mm -hmm. And um, and then that that leads to a discussion in the very middle of the nine step system that I call rules of the road. And that is really your options and your limits. What, you, what, what is your operating environment? What can you definitely choose to do? And what should you definitely not choose to do? Or you're gonna end up in trouble or not be able to do it, right? If you wanna fly from here to Toledo, 
you got to take an airplane or a balloon or something because you're physically not able to fly. So that's a limit, right? That's a rule of the road. And once we've done all of that, we're able to say, okay, on this found of this foundation and this pathway, we're at point number six, and that is sense of direction. Mm. That kind of ties into that outcome versus uh, goal uh-huh. yeah. discussion that we had earlier, where I, I want a sense of direction. What you know? What am I trying to do here? All right. Then once we've kind of granularized that a little bit, made it something we can describe, then we move up into you know practicing things and getting looking for results on demand, changing our focus if we need to, whatever way we need to adjust our focus, mm-hmm. and then ultimately. Uh, be able to say, okay, win this, do that. And that's kind of a playbook. We want a reliable playbook. So that's position number nine is the reliable playbook. So when you're way at the beginning, you're, hey, I can't do this. And when you get all the way through it, you're, hey, I can do this. And every single aspect, every single box interrelates with the other. So it's a, it's a, it's a cool mind map. It's organic and, uh, and uh, it's a living tool. So every single box interact. I thought I had a pretty good visualization of it before you said every box interacts with each other. So is it? Um, yeah, maybe I went too far too fast. But the bottom line is, is that you when you need to focus, you can go all the way back to practical attitude, preferences, and permission. Uh-huh. Right? So you're up in the practice line and you're practicing things that are, you're trying to get results on demand and they may or may not be working. So you need to work on your focus before you say, you know, we could do this every time or we can do this next Tuesday or Mm -hmm, whatever. mm -hmm. And you might have to go all the way back to the beginning and say, well, hold on a second. Our preferences are this, but our permission is that. Our limits are this. Our sense of direction is that. Now let's go back and start to practice again. So it's really a holistic system. It lays out, it's kind of like I was talking about uh, last time when I said it's more like trying to describe a sculpture than a painting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Sense. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Because it's a three dimensional thing, as is your life, as is the hologram of, of our minds. Right. Yeah. Three sure. dimensional. Yeah. And it's interesting. I was reading a book recently called um, something like The Road to Acceptance or something. Dr. Eileen Winokur wrote it. And um, she talks about how there's a misunderstanding about Abraham Maslow's pyramid of um, the hierarchy of needs thinking that, okay, once I got this, then I move up to this, then I move up to this, and it's a hierarchy, like a pyramid, and you move up from one to the other. But she said, no, it's interacting all the time. Mm-hmm. That, you know, it's, a, it's a flexible influx system that, you know, you, you might be at that pinnacle of the hierarchy, but you might be going right back down to, you know, basic need for shelter as well. Power outage, like we had last week. Um, you know, a number of examples could be like that. You know, some something in your life changes, COVID happens, suddenly it's you know, very different. You lose a job, you lose a position or whatever. Um, well, this is why I like, yeah. Yeah. This, this is why I like William Glasser's work hmm. because uh, Glasser has what he, in, in 1966, he published his, his first really comprehensive uh, piece on what he calls choice theory and reality therapy. He calls it, uh-huh. he calls it unpsychiatry. Where he takes, where he has uh, five circles, and those five circles are what I use in the in the uh, in the basic practice tool, that uh, basically take what Maslow did in a hierarchy fashion 
and put it into a circular system. Oh, very cool. And so we can start to measure match and mismatch for survival, freedom, yeah, love, yeah. power, yeah, yeah. love, and relationships. What is my mismatch? What is my match? And what Glasser said in his in his take, his psychiatric take on it is, is that if we can get better at figuring out what our matches and mismatches are, then we could, you know, that we could kind of do the unpsychiatry for ourselves and say, you know, what I need is what I mm. need more freedom in this mm. area. I need more fun in this area. I need more love and related enhancement there or survival comes up again. But it's a circular system and it's interactive, just like uh, just like your your author that you were speaking. I was talking about. Uh, she's yeah. absolutely right. And that's what that's what I, I think is cool about Dr. Glasser's work is that it kind of puts Maslow's hierarchy into uh, what I consider to be more organic terms. You know, we live in a we live in a on a circular planet in a circular yeah, yeah. universe, right? Yeah, so, circular or spiral. You know, depending on how you look at it. Spiral yeah. dynamics, yeah. Upward yeah, spiral, right. yeah, yeah, or, or downward, depending. But yes, oh, absolutely. and they're done that. <laughs> <laughs> Might do it again if I don't watch out. Yeah. Uh, oh, golly gee, <laughs> could spend all day with you, my friend. So, um, Always we're gonna, fun. yeah, we're gonna be wrapping up here for a minute. Do you have any last uh, comments, phrases, last, I don't want to say last words, but do you have anything that you want to say in conclusion um, for today's podcast? Well, I, I just think that, I just think that when, you know, since NLP has so many models in it, I think that what we're working with with self-directed change work method is kind of consolidating for useful models that escalate as complexity sets in and it just makes all this stuff easier to think about. And so at, at first, it sounds like it's a very complicated system, but it's really, no, it's really not. And uh, it, it actually uh, very closely mirrors the kind of experience that we're already having, right. um, you know, anyway, and the decision dynamics that we're already involved in um, and the way that we describe things so that stress, control, expectations, metaphors, self-talk can all be crafted into something that is, you know, can really be very positively used and, you know, kind of make our way from hesitation, frustration, and patience into a really solid sense of direction so that when we go for it, mm -hmm. we feel much better about what we're doing. And when we, you know, if, 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 we, if we run onto the rocky shoals of reality, uh, you know, we, we have a, a breadcrumb trail that we can we can back up and, and and go figure out how to how to you know start again or continue from a better place. You know, life is real and life can be very hard, but there are ways to make it easier. And yes, they take effort um, and mindfulness, but uh, it it can be done with the right understanding and certainly with the right intention. So that's what I'm going for. That's great. That's really great. Well, thank you uh, once again for such an enlightening and uh, thought-provoking hour, you know, with us here. Appreciate that so much. It's amazing how quickly time flies. I can't believe it's already been an hour. Thank you, Doug. It's always a pleasure to to visit with you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, Good times. Be, be well. Take care out there in uh, Oregon. And once again. Your your website is just jimkelly.com or what is it? Uh, well, no, I'm uh, at at, at uh, changeworksinstitute.com. Oh, yeah. I, you yeah. know, I do have jimislistening.com. Yeah, jimislistening, that's it. 
Yeah, but, yeah. And uh, I don't know if it's hooked up to ChangeWorks Institute right now, but now that we've mentioned it live on, on a podcast, I think I'll, I'll tidy that up. Okay, so, good. Yeah, but, but for the most part, changeworksinstitute.com is where to go. That's that's the, the place to start. And Very we're cool. curating a better experience around all of that. It's going and, to get a lot easier to get involved for people who want to over the course of this year. And, and, and uh, when is your book coming out? Uh, day before yesterday. <laughs> no, we're not quite there yet, but we're getting close. We're working in that direction, and I'm always and I'm always happy to come back and talk to you about NLP, um, any aspect of NLP, uh, any of this, any of the self-directed change work stuff. You know, this Very is fun. Cool. Great. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Doug. This has been the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. Thank you for being here. It's a pleasure seeing you again. Hope to see you again real soon. Come back next week when we have another gripping and exciting episode of the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. And if you want to, you can find out more about us, each and every one of us, at EssentialCoachingSkills.com. Thanks. Thanks.